The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Um, I want to start out, I told you about a quote from C.S. Lewis. I found that. I said I was going to bring it. I just want to read this because I think it's really powerful of what we're talking about, just um, delighting in the gospel, delighting in Christ, fighting for that joy in him. Um, this is C.S. Lewis. It says, A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty because he would always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and of other, other people. It's like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it's idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own loves and tastes and habits can do the journey on their own. Fulfillment of duty never yet made a man happy in himself or dear to others. It is shocking, but it is undeniable. We do not wish either to be or to live among people who are clean or honest or kind as a matter of duty. We want to be and associate with people who like being clean and honest and kind. The mere suspicion that what seemed an act of spontaneous friendliness or generosity might have been rather done from duty suddenly poisons it. Morality is healthy only when it is trying to abolish itself. In theological language that says no man can be saved by works, the whole purpose of the gospel is to deliver us from morality, that cold, gloomy heart doing as duty what happier and richer souls do in delight. And I love that. And that's the power of the gospel that other people see in us, that we're not doing things out of duty, um, that we are doing them out of delight of knowing what Christ has done for us. And that's why it's so powerful. Ephesians and Colossians and the prison epistles are so powerful because that's how Paul addresses the churches. And he talks about their being full of grace. Even when he's talking to a church that has very serious problems, he's saying, you are full of grace. This is who you are in Christ. This is what he's done for you. Now that I've reminded you of that in the first part of my letter, now I'm going to go and tell you, okay, now because of that, this is what your life should look like. And that's what motivates us, us the message of the gospel. Um, normally when I, I used to speak, I used to like to take a text like Ephesians and then just read the text and work from that and expand that. But I have found that speaking at ladies retreats, I'm just sharing this because I want you to know how powerful I believe the word is and we'll discuss that. But, um, I've just found it's just better on a weekend retreat when you all come away to just talk to you and share from my heart. And that's really what I've done. So I hope I'm not, I haven't discouraged anyone that you're just, you know, like she didn't read the text and, and, and it, it, she just wasn't word-centered. Um, I know, I know I didn't read the text. Um, and I'm not even going to do it now. I thought, okay, I need to really just, and then I thought, you know what, I'm only doing that so nobody can say that about me. And I don't want to do that. And I actually love reading Ephesians. And if we had one more session, I would have us read through that. And I would tell you, everybody, let's read it like you've never read it before. If you have attention deficit like me, don't look at the people in front of you. Don't look at their shoes. Don't look at And because it's very hard 
to stay focused. And then you look around, oh, I like her hair. Okay, yeah, back to this. And it's difficult, but we're not even going to do that because I want to talk to you about some other things. And, and one of the things we will talk about is the power of the word and running to Christ in making sure that we are loving the word and we're embracing it and finding ways to study it. Um, what I want to do, I was trying to decide, okay, where am I going to end this session and what would be the most profitable thing? I would like to talk about practical ways um, to run to Christ, things that I have found in my life help me to embrace the truth and to walk in the truth in ways where I'm finding more victory and able to enjoy Christ more and things that are helpful to me in my fight for joy, that we all are in that battle. Okay, so just some practical things. Um, First of all, the Word of God. I just mentioned that, just really loving the Word of God. Let me just encourage you to know your God design. If you are taking a course, let's say it's just not even a theological course, it's just any course, history, English, whatever, How you would study and learn best is very indicative of your learning style. Some of you are more auditory learners. Some of you are more visual. We're all different. And I want you to take your God-given design and relate that to the study of the Word. What is the command in the Word of God? The command is to meditate on my Word morning, noon, and night. God tells us, Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So we know that our mental ability, our keeping our mind focused on Christ is where the peace comes from. So it's a battle of the mind. But how do you do that? How do you meditate on God's word morning, noon, or night? Just like with prayer, pray without ceasing. How do you pray without ceasing? Well, let me take that one. What does it mean when it says pray without ceasing? Does that mean that, I mean, literally, are we supposed to go around all day, dear Lord, and you can't even talk to anybody because you're praying, blah, blah. And and I love this illustration. It's helped me to know if you have ever had a cold and a cough, like a tickle in your throat, and all day long you're going around, it's just bothering you, and you talk to someone, and you kind of, you know, tickles you. You get home at night. You tell your husband or your mom or your dad or whatever. You say, I have been coughing all day. Is that a lie? I mean, did you literally mean you went through the whole day (coughs) and you never stopped one time? No, it just meant that at the whole day, that cough was, you were conscious about a cough at any second, you could feel that cough coming. And so you say, I've been coughing all day because it was always right there in your throat, ready to cough. And that's what I really believe that praying without ceasing is. I am in a relationship with God where I talk to him at all times I can. And it doesn't mean that I never talk to anybody else, but I am constantly in a framework of mind that Christ is right with me. He's my savior, that I have a relationship with him. And at any time I talk to him, um, my husband went to India to one time with a missionary over there. Um, His name was... Mr. Day, I just remember his last name was The Days, but he came back with our son, and I remember he said the thing that struck me so much about him is how he just prays about everything. 
He said we would go to get in the car and he would just stop. Lord, please protect us. Well, I guess you have to when you're in India. You'd, you'd be tempted to pray too. But he would be say, Lord, please protect us as they're going in the restaurant. Father, if there's someone. And he said he would just pray out loud. I mean, he just like talks out loud. And he said he would go, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you and you want us to give the gospel, Lord, please help us to be open, help us to show Christ. Just constantly like having conversations with God throughout the day. And I'm not saying you have to do that, but I think that the point is, that's the pray without ceasing. Well, scripture reading, meditating on the word morning, noon, and night. You want to be a word-filled believer. Um, When you talk to people, the word comes out of you. You can't help but to make reference to the word. And that means that we're not going to reduce this to a little hour devotional time in the morning at 5 o'clock. If that's what works for you, great. Get up in the morning, get your bunny slippers, get your coffee, sit in the place that you sit and have that time. But I beg you not to write a book about it, that you must have this quiet time. And this is the success to being a good Christian. And there, because there are already lots of those books. We don't, we don't want them. They destroyed me. Um, Do you know that is not for everybody? You have to know the difference in a good idea and what the Bible says. And if that doesn't work for you, I have just seen so many people eaten up with guilt because somehow they were given the impression that to grow in grace and to grow in the word, they have to do it at this time, in this way, in this manner, and have to have the daily devotion. Then if they mess up, then they just give up. And they're like, oh, I can't do this. I, get, I just don't know what's wrong with me. I'm trying to free you to love God's word more. Take your design And just say, you know what? I don't have an option not to get this word in my heart. And even how you do it, it depends on your personality. Some of you will do great reading through the Bible in a year. And that will be a good supplement for you and a good way for you to love, learn to grow in your knowledge of God and love him. For some of you, that is not going to be a good idea. For some of you, just taking one verse and chewing on it over and over and over the way your mind is, you find better victory and and a relationship with God that grows by taking that verse and putting it on your iPhone and carrying it around with you and repeating it through the day. For some of you, it's reading a whole chapter. Do you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us how to do it. I just want you to know the option, if you want to grow in grace, is to not love God. God's word and love his law and to read it morning, noon, and night and meditate on it and find ways that you can get it into your heart and mind because that's where the battle is won and find a way that works for you. Um, And even if you want to talk to someone else about it, if you want someone to help you be held accountable, it, it doesn't matter. Just take your God design and let it work for you. If you are the kind you don't, some of you that don't even like to read, can't be expected all of a sudden to be reading through the Bible. And, and reading is difficult for you. For some of you, you need to listen to the Bible would be better for you. If you're more an auditory learner, having listening to scripture, um, some of you learn things through music so well. Don't, don't allow the enemy to rob from you and make you feel guilty by not thinking that even when you listen to Christian music that is about Christ, that somehow that doesn't count at all toward your loving God and knowing about him. All of those things, it's all of it together. It's getting the word. It's listening to music about him. Um, I just feel like the world is so much with us 
that if you will start taking your discretionary time and filling it with things that are more important maybe than what you've been filling them with, I think you will be amazed at how the more you study God's love for you, how that will start inflaming your own heart with more of a passion for him. And you will start finding that the trivial things of this world almost start annoying you. The very things that entertained you can actually start annoying you in light of the depth of what you'll get from studying things that change you and really touch your heart. And that's where I want you to get to that point. Um, I'm going to give this illustration, and it is not, I promise, this is not, I'm, I, I mean, I can be very self-righteous, and, and the Lord has been very good at just painfully and graciously, like Eustace on the voyage of the dawn treader, ripping off my dragon suit and taking off layers and layers of self-righteousness. Um, and it's been a painful process, so I, I'm really not saying this. But about four years ago, um, I just remember I decided, you know, I just, someone gave this quote, let your good get better, let your better get, well, that's not right. Like, don't settle to your better is better and your better is better. Oh, forget it. But it was a really good quote <laughs> about doing, about choosing things that are more eternal and just looking at your life and saying, where are the areas where in my run to Christ, I'm clinging to things that are more eternal? And I had just decided, you know what? I feel like I'm watching too much TV. I can get sucked into, I feel like I've gotten sucked into some of this because there's always something good on TV. And I always thought it's weird when people say there's nothing good on TV. I'm like, well, you'd obviously need to get cable or something because <laughs> there are home shows and there's cooking shows and there's cake shows and, you know, there's all kinds of fun stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of junk on there, but there's also some good stuff. And I just felt like, I don't, you know, it's not like I really watch anything, you know, too bad. I didn't think I did, but I thought, I'm, I'm just going to try to use my time more wisely. I really am having a hard time, not it, with my mind. And I'm one of those on that continuum of, you know, we're all mentally ill. And I'm kind of on the continuum more toward the mentally ill side. When I say that, my husband always pushes my hand, like, no, you're way over there. And he's the most healthy mentally person I know. It's just real simple life. He doesn't get all people's problems. He's like, you just do right. You just read God's word. You just study. Okay, whatever. But I have all this fighting going on. And I have learned if I'm not real intentional, the enemy can really start messing with my mind. And I can have really horrible conflict. So I thought, I, I think I need to do better at this. I want to do I want to pursue Christ with more passion. So I decide I'm going to start with the area of TV. I'm just going to pick that up. And I'm going to stop watching some things that are not bad in themselves, but I just think there's something better I can do. And, you know, this is four years later. I don't, I mean, I can honestly say this. I don't even like TV anymore. It is just so boring to me. I sit there and I just don't like it, but I don't even want to keep watching it if I don't, because what if all of a sudden it starts being real exciting to me again? Or I watch something, it's like, oh, this is good. So I'm not saying it's boring because I'm better. It's just boring because I haven't been watching it and I'm not missing it anymore. And that's someone who liked to watch it before. So I am not here telling you that you should, you know, sometimes my friends get together and talk about the shows. I feel like a little idiot because I'm like, oh, oh, really? Did she do that? Oh, cool. Okay. But I'm still not going to do I just have so much fun reading. I'm reading a lot of things. It's helping me. So I want to encourage you. I don't know what it is in your life. You can even start small sometimes and just say, where is something where I, it's just an area that will help my mind to be centered more on Christ. 
and you know what that is, and, and no one else can tell you that, and it doesn't make you more spiritual. I think sometimes it just gives you more time to cling to God's word and to grow in grace. So it's not a duty thing. It's just doing this out of our delight. So the word, loving the word, studying it the way you've been made to study, whether you read or you don't read or you read with music or you don't read with music, whatever, find something that works for you. Um, Next, just rehearsing the message of the gospel, rehearsing the message of the gospel. There is a book that I love. You probably all, I think most of you probably have heard of it, but I love Milton Vincent's The Gospel Primer. Um, it's just, that's what it's called. The gospel primer. It looks like primer, but it's not primer. That's paint. It's primer. It's a book. And it's just a little book by Milton Vincent. It's the gospel primer. And he, it is just so powerful because it takes the message of the gospel and just in a real poignant way shows you how does that apply in my friendships? How does that apply when I'm handling, when I'm facing pain? How does the message of the gospel in my life affect my dealing with people who are not saved? How does that affect my view of worldliness? There, it's, it's just really powerful, and you can even get a pocket size of it. But I, the whole point why he wrote this, he said once he started rehearsing the gospel, which is exactly what Paul does in Ephesians and Colossians with the people. That's all he's doing in that letter. He is rehearsing to them the message of the gospel. If right now I had us turn to Ephesians and read, that's what it says over and over. And you, at one point you were at alien and you were at enmity with God, but now you have Christ and you have his inheritance and all the riches of Christ are yours and you stand forgiven and you were given the Holy Spirit as a seal of, of a guarantee that you are a believer. And he goes on and on. He's just repeating over and over to them, this is who you are. That is important, to rehearse the message of the gospel. You cannot rehearse that enough. Um, I think it's Tim Keller who likes to, I mean, that is his quote that he likes to say, but he loves talking about the fact that when I wake up, the first thing I do try to keep telling myself over and over is, Face this day knowing I'm a worse sinner than I can imagine, and I serve a Savior that's greater and loves me more than I can imagine. And everything pretty much falls into that nutshell. Kind of like the one that I said he wakes up and says, drop dead. Um, And it's letting Christ live through us. And then next, learn the difference between facts and truth. Facts and truth. And this will help you in your counseling. I use this in counseling all the time. Let me explain. If we were talking about the story of Goliath and David, what are some of the facts of that story? The facts are that David was just a shepherd. The facts are that he, in comparison to Goliath, was small in stature, that Goliath was huge, that Goliath was a Philistine. He was more skilled in warfare and had weaponry that was much more advanced, that David had a slingshot. That was his weapon. Those are all facts that are really raw. And if we would look at those facts, we would never say that David is going to win. We would laugh if we even thought that. But the truth is that God ordained David for victory. That's the truth. Do not let the facts of your life mess up the truth. Yes, they're facts, but it's not the truth that sets you free. When I counsel someone, I spend the first time with them saying, I need to know all the facts of your life. Tell me the facts and don't sweep them under the carpet. 
and I'm not, you don't need to minimize them and you don't need to spin them because you know what? It doesn't help to spin the facts. It doesn't help to minimize them. It doesn't help to pretend they're not as raw as they are. And it doesn't help to hide them under a carpet the way many families do. And we sweep it under the rug and we don't want to deal with it. And I tell people it's not going to help you. Things that have happened in the past, if you were abused, if there's anything that's in the past, I'm not approaching this as a psychologist saying we've got to vent so you can relive the experience. I'm saying this because we're going to talk about the truth that covers it. And if you don't even know what the truth has to cover because you haven't been willing to face it, then you're spinning your wheels and eventually you will continue to deal with the consequences of that. So don't, the gospel makes it where we don't have to spin the facts anymore. The truth is so great. It sets us free even by doing the facts. So when I'm talking to someone, in fact, I'm counseling someone, and she just sent me a text this morning. She said, please pray for me. Her husband had multiple affairs. She just found out. I mean, nobody knew anything about this. Um, she's wanting, she's the kind she likes to know. So they did get some counsel from someone and that person told her, you need to just move on and don't ask him any more questions. Just move on and give it up. And I said, no, that is ridiculous. I said, number one, if you're anything like me, I can deal with what I know. I want to know. And your husband cheated on you multiple times. Part of long suffering for his sin is to sit there and suffer with you and have to deal with these facts so you can deal with them. And let truth cover them. Well, I just got a text from her this morning. I mean, she just said, please pray for me. It is so raw. I thought they just had sex one or two times. He now admitted to me it was constant. It was in his office. It was, it's just awful. She goes, this is so hard. It's like hell on earth. I don't know how I can deal with this, but I'm glad I know he's coming clean about everything and he's doing that. Okay, I can pray with her. I can say, you know what? The truth can cover this. You don't want to go through the rest of your life wondering what happened. And she wants to stay with him. I mean, she loves him. And even if biblically we think she'd had grounds to leave, she wants him. But she wants to know what the facts are. And I get that. And there might be some of you that would be like, I don't want to know. Well, I would. I want to know everything. You tell me everything. And then, okay, that's the idea of facts. That's facts. And it's awful. But you know what? She knows that the truth is powerful to cover the most heinous fact that you hear. She believes that in her heart, and I believe that for her. That is what I do when I counsel somebody. I say, don't hide it. Sometimes I cry with them. I mean, they're telling me stuff. I'm dealing with a 14-year-old daughter. She has to act like the mother in her family because her parents are so messed up. And I, it would be ridiculous for me as a counselor to look at her and just try to minimize it. I say, you know what? No 14-year-old should ever have to go through what you are going through. I am validating the fact that your hurt is real and it's raw and this is horrible that you're going through this. But you know what? God is sovereign. He knows it. And let's talk about truth. So facts, I want you to look at it this way. These are the facts in my life. I want you to face them. I want you to admit what they are. I want you to deal with it. I'm going to validate to you that they're awful if you're talking to me. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. But then we're not going to stop there. We're going to take the truth of God's word, and we're going to cover the truth over all those horrendous facts and say, let's talk about truth. God says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, that my grace is sufficient, that where sin abounds, grace abounds more, that I am going to hold on to you, that even when you don't hold on to me, I'm powerful, and I've got you in the palm of my hand, and I am going to take you through this world, and even though it shocks you, and, it's, and it rocks you, and it's difficult, it is just a vapor, 
And though this suffering is only temporary, that's all it is. It's momentary suffering for a lifetime of glory with heaven. In heaven, that's the truth. Now, how do you know the truth? You have to know God's word. You have to keep rehearsing God's word, rehearsing the gospel. And so I want you to know that difference between facts and truth. And whenever you talk to anybody, even if it's a friend, just say to them, let's talk, let's talk, let's be real to each other. We were talking about that in the car on the way here from the airport, different cultures and different parts of the country. Some people are more put cards on the table face up. Some people are like, hide your cards and you don't show anyone. And I just really believe as believers, if we're going to touch truth in people's lives, we've got to be willing to be open, which is why we hear in his word, confess your sins one to the other. We don't have to spin. If you think that you have to spin your life and project yourself as more important than you are, you do not understand the message of the gospel and you're not appropriating it. Because we know you're a mess. And we know I'm a mess. So that's life. But we serve a God who's not a mess and who is taking us out of this mess and changing us. I have people say, how do you like being a pastor's wife? You know, this is your first time to be a pastor's wife for a year and a half. And I had one time pastor's wife say, say, oh, it's so hard. Everybody has these expectations for you. And I said, I said, I'm really not. I don't. It's just no different than anything else. If they have them for me, I don't. It's okay. If somebody comes to me and says, Holly, I'm concerned about this, and I think you should do that. I mean, no matter what they say, I can really look at them and go, so is there anything else that's wrong with me? I mean, really? That's it? Oh, my word. I'm so glad because I get way worse. Trust me. Way worse. So that's really good that that's all that you think. And I would absolutely think that about anybody because no matter what they see, I know me. I know my stinking heart. And I know the motivations that I have that are ungodly sometimes. And I know the thoughts that I have in my mind that would be just mortifying if anybody knew what they were, just like you. So even if you're seated there and you're thinking, well, I'm not like that. I just, I'm not. I'm sorry. Oh, we know you are. So that's okay. And if you're not, you're just boring or something. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's, that's just life. It's, it's life here on earth. And that's why Paul's able to say, I am the chiefest of sinners, because he knows the chiefest of sinners, he knows himself. But you don't have to spin anymore, because it's not about us. It's about Christ living through us. So we can tell someone, I'm a believer. I'm a redeemed child of God. I have the righteousness of Christ. And when you see something in me that's not lovely, and it's not kind, and it's not the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, you know what? It's me and my flesh that's gotten in the way. And you're right. That's all corruption there. So I'm sorry, and I just pray I want Christ to live through me, and I just wasn't dead to myself, and sometimes my ugly self rears its head and tries to live around. So thank you for pointing that out, and maybe you could pray with me right now. Let's pray. Would you pray for me? You know, then you really know how they care about you. Um, when my husband was a president at a college, he would have, you know, you deal with lots of pastors. It was a Christian college, so it's hundreds of pastors who all have opinions about how things should be done. And I would just hear him. He's just a humble person. I would always hear him on the phone, and I knew, okay, they don't like that he's doing this or that. And he would always say, you know, I just, can you, can you trust when I say that I do love God and I'm trying to do what's right and lead these kids? I feel very, I, I feel the burden of that. He said, um, if you believe that God is powerful enough to work in my life and show me that that's wrong, can you trust him? Can you trust God to show me? 
if that's really wrong. And maybe you could even pray with me now. Well, that kind of settles him down. You know, they, they can't get too upset if, if you act like that. And that's just true. You can just diffuse so much because you don't need to defend yourself. God needs no defense. God's word needs no defense. So you don't get out of your defensive mode and say, I don't, it's just freeing. Do you realize how the truth sets you free? People can't hurt you anymore because you're just flesh and you know that it's bad. But when you're dead to self and Christ lives for you, lives through you, and you want him to live through you, then you know that if they take up something, you have to take it up with Christ and then trust him to change you. Um, so rehearse the gospel. Know the difference between the facts and the truth. And then the last one that I want to talk about is look away from yourself. Look away from yourself. Look away from your love. Look away from your faith. Don't make a savior of those things. I'm going to read two quotes, and I'll try to read them slowly in some parts. Um, But one is from Charles Spurgeon, and the other is from Octavius Winslow. Octavius Winslow is, you know, the old dead guy that's kind of was like my boyfriend for about two years. Um, I really, really like him, and I found that both of them would say a lot of the same things. They really, really pushed this point, which was life-changing to me, that we've got to look away even from our own looking. Okay, let me, this is one from Spurgeon. Never make Christ out of your faith, nor think of it as if it were an independent source of your salvation. Our life is found in looking unto Jesus, not in looking to our own faith. By faith, all things become possible to us. Yet the power is not in the faith, but in the God upon whom the faith relies. Grace is the powerful engine, and faith is the chain by which the carriage of the soul is attached to the great mode of power. The power lies in the grace of God, not in our faith. Great messages can be sent along slender wires, and the peace-giving witness of the Holy Spirit can reach the heart by means of thread-like faith, which seems almost unable to sustain its own weight. Therefore, think more of him to whom you look than of your look itself. You must look away even from your own looking and see nothing but Jesus and the grace of God revealed in him. Let me read that last sentence again. You must look away even from your own looking and see nothing but Jesus and the grace of God revealed in him. So what does that mean? That means if you are talking to me and you're saying, oh, I just wish I had more faith. It just seems like she just has such good faith. And, she can, and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go, no, you don't have good faith, but it's not about you. Let's look to Christ. Let's look to the one who's the author and finisher of your faith. Let's stop looking at yourself. You're looking too much. You're wanting for you. Your eyes are on yourself. Look away from yourself. And then here's Octavius Winslow. Be careful of making a savior of your faith. There is a danger, and it cannot be too vigilantly guarded against, of making this mistake that leads so many of God's saints to look within instead of outside of themselves for the evidences of their calling and acceptance. The work of Christ is a great and finished work. It is so glorious 
that it can admit no comparison. It is so complete that it can allow no addition, and it is so essential that it can give place to no substitution. As precious as is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart, and as essential as it is to the salvation of the soul, yet he who places it where the work of Jesus ought only to be will bring stress upon his soul. Righteousness, peace, and joy are the fruit of full belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he who looks for them away from the cross will be met with disappointment, for they are only found in Christ. He who looks away from himself, from his vileness, his guiltiness, his emptiness, and poverty— and instead looks fully and believingly on Jesus, will know the forgiveness of sin and experience the love of God in his heart. If then your faith is feeble and tried, do not be cast down. The finished work of Emmanuel is your ground of salvation. Yes, it is your salvation itself. So make not a savior of your faith. Despise it not if it is feeble. Exult not in it if it is strong. Trample not on it if it is small. And deify it not if it is great. Such are the extremes to which every believer is exposed. So dearly beloved, if your faith is feeble and sharply tried, it is no evidence that you are not a believer because the evidence of your acceptance in the beloved is to arise from Christ alone. So let this be your constant motto. Looking unto Jesus, looking to him just as you are, looking unto him when your faith is feeble, looking unto him when your faith is tried, looking unto him when your faith is declining, yes, looking unto him when you fear you have no faith at all. Look up, tried and tempted soul. Jesus is the author, the sustainer, and the finisher of your faith. That's powerful stuff. Looking away from your own looking. And the enemy loves to rid you with guilt and to weigh you down and to weigh you down with, I should have done this and why didn't I do that? And do you see how there's so much I in there? And that happens sometimes when I counsel somebody. It's like, I don't feel like I love God. I just don't feel like I lie, I, I, I. And they say it like 20 times. And it's like, you know what? This is not about you. You're right. Your faith is pitiful. Even if it was greater than anybody that you ever have met in your life, it's still pitiful. And even if you love God more than anybody else that I have ever met, your love for God is emaciated and weak compared to his love for you. So we're not going to worry about your love anymore. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to say, oh, because number one, you're not even called to muster it up. You can't do it, and you're not called to do that. And that's why I want to read this quote on love. Um, Love begets love. This is Octavius Winslow, and it goes with the same idea of the faith. Love begets love. Behold the source of your love to God. We love him because he first loved us. Believe in the love of God. Believe that Jesus loves you, and you shall be sensible of a newborn affection glowing within your breast. You are not called to believe in your love to God, but in God's love to you. Are you striving to your utmost to love God, but you have failed in all your endeavors until in despair you've abandoned the attempt? So be it, for no effort of your own can ever strike a spark of love to God from your heart. 
nor does God demand that task at your hands. All he requires of you is faith in his love. In the new and living way he has opened to his reconciled heart, the ample promise he has made to save you, the willingness he has shown to pardon and accept you. Have faith in God's love. Believe that Jesus loves you and your heart will glow with a love in return, which will bear it on in willing obedience and unreserved surrender. And I love that. Love begets love. So the best thing to do is to focus on God's love for you Not so much. Don't worry about your love for him. Don't be worried all the time about your faith and be wringing your hands all the time and beating yourself up. That is just, you are, and I'm not saying that lightly, like just do it. Nothing is that simple. That's why it's a battle. And I can be ridden with guilt. I know what that's like to just start getting in very dark place sometimes where I can just be, oh, why didn't I do this and why didn't it? But I'm, I'm more quickly getting to the point where I realize what I'm doing when that happens. And I'm starting to become about me. And I'm, I'm being weighed down because I'm looking to myself. We are all selfish enough to do that. And we all look to ourselves enough, even in what looks real spiritual. And so we accept it sometimes. We've got to fight against it. There's not, there's only vileness within us. Don't look at your guilt and your vileness and your weakness. We know that that's what we are apart from Christ. But in him, we have the righteousness of Christ. And the more you focus on that, the more you will want to lead a holy life that is exemplifies the Christ that's in us. And the more we'll want to be dead to self because we realize when we get in the picture, we mess it up. And you, the more you do that too, have any of you been this, have done this where you're just so surprised by grace? Like you totally acted out of your normal character. You were kind and you were like, oh my word, I was so kind. Whoa, surprised by grace. And I am surprised by grace constantly. I have a big mouth. I have a sharp tongue. I want to put people in their place. And I just know that when I'm, I don't open my mouth and I don't say anything, we walk away, and my husband's like, wow, you, Holly, you go, girl. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't me. It was God. I'm so, I love it when he lives through me. I love it. I'm much, I just show him much more, but, you know, <laughs> it's just a whole better life. It's just not in the good when I'm there. So you'll just know, Lord, help me to just drop dead to myself. Um, just your grace is sufficient and I can show forth that fruit of the Spirit. And it's not all individual. I, I just heard um, a message from Tim Keller. I thought this was so good, so powerful. He said, you can almost tell when something, how do you know when something's the Spirit? It's of the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit. Or it's just someone's morality. Like they're just deciding to be nice. He said, one way you can tell, the fruit of the Spirit comes as a package deal. It is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is working through us, and we are dead to ourselves, and we're not quenching the Holy Spirit, and he's working through us. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. It's the whole package. It's the fruit being shown. People can show love, but they might not be long-suffering. Or they can work up and muster to be kind, but they're not patient. You see what I'm saying? They're picking and choosing virtues just because they're allowed to have virtue and it's their own virtue by common grace, but it's not the fruit of the Spirit. So you know when the Holy Spirit is working through you, you will have people say about you and they ought to be able to say, I do see love, kindness, gentleness, patience, 
goodness, faith. And, and if you've been with people, that you all have been, you're even in ministry long enough, sometimes you see somebody and you go, oh, they're so kind, but they are not gentle at all. Or, you know, they're so patient, but they're not. There's a problem. And problems don't exist in a vacuum. There is, for some reason, the Holy Spirit is not coming out in that person's life. You will know. You will know when it's the work of the Spirit. And you will know when you are walking in the Spirit. My mom likes to say, keep your wits about you. Like, walk in the Spirit. That's a little, you know, anagram. But she'll say, Holly, keep your wits about you. What does the Bible say? Walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what does it say in Titus? That grace is training us to denounce worldliness and lust and the pleasures of the flesh. That's God's work of grace in our lives. He's doing a work in yours. He's doing a work in mine. If you're a believer, he's doing that. And he is going. He's changing us from glory to glory. And fortunately, we can say, I'm not, he's not finished yet. And I'm a work in progress. And there's some things that my husband will say. He stopped bugging me about it. He goes, oh, yeah, I'll just wait till you get to heaven for that one. I'm like, yeah, you probably should. I, we, we got other things we got to work on. But. God's changing us, and that is cause to rejoice. I want you to leave this conference filled with hope and filled with joy and a new purpose in your heart to fight the fight of unbelief against unbelief by looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible goodness. We stand at the cross forgiven. We are complete in you, and we are so thankful for that, Lord. May that thanksgiving and gratitude just well in our hearts to the point that we want to lead holy lives because of what you have done and that we act out of delight and not a sense of duty. So, Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that though we were sinners and we brought nothing to the table in our ugliness, you reached down and loved us and drew us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.